Well, welcome back to uh, Plays in Action. This is episode two, uh, week eight in the CFL. Uh, we got a three-game slate this week. Uh, Hamilton at Ottawa uh, on early on a Wednesday. And then two games on Friday, Montreal at Toronto, and then Saskatchewan at BC. Welcome back. Thanks so much for everyone that uh, listened to our premiere episode. Uh, lots of great feedback, lots of chatter on Twitter, and uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, one of the best ways you can support this podcast is just letting your CFL family and friends know about it. Uh, maybe they've played fantasy, maybe they haven't. This is a great opportunity to hopefully learn a few things and maybe get involved a little bit and have a little bit of fun watching uh, watching the CFL. So They could back. also just send us money. <laughs> that is also very much you, appreciated. You, you could go to paypal.me and send money to Benyamin54 and, you know, like, I ain't turning yeah. down money. We're good with yeah. money. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so many ways that you can support Ben and I um, <laughs> through fantasy or just in life, you know, you know, just help us, you know, buy another coffee or something like that. So, uh, well, good evening, Ben. How are you doing tonight, man? You know what? It's a, uh, we're entering the three-week stretch of the CFL schedule where everything goes a little haywire with Tuesday games and Wednesday games and Monday games and everything in between. So my schedule goes a little bit AWOL here for the next while. So I've turned around content in 24 hours that I usually take for 72. So this has been a little bit of a wild ride. So I, uh, my brain is spinning, but I'm ready to spin it out all over the podcast and hope for the best here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because as we were getting ready, you know, it seemed like, because I think there's a game, what, next Tuesday night? I think there's a game. Yeah. Uh, so some of the sites, some of the sites had that as part of this week, and it's actually yeah, it's not a little part bit of this wild. week because it's yeah. only a three-game slate this week, and we're used to seeing four. And in two weeks, we'll get a five-gamer, which doesn't make any oh. sense at all. So, like, good luck us. <laughs> yeah, no kidding at all. Well, uh, thanks so much uh, for those of you that took part in the uh, with Prize Picks. Uh, they're a great sponsor of ours, already helping us out even here on episode two. Uh, and uh, use the code Benyamin. Can you, Ben? Can you tell us our listeners a little bit more about Prize Picks? Yep, Prize Picks is a site that makes fantasy sports simple for you. Just pick over unders on two to five players on individual stats or fantasy scores from more sports than you can possibly count, and win straight up cash. So right now, if you sign up with the promo code Benyamin, B E N Y A M E N, just like my Twitter handle, you can get a one hundred percent bonus on your first deposit and help support the show in the process. It's Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Made Easy. Awesome. Thanks to those that have already taken advantage of that code. Uh, it's still available, Ben Yaman, just like his Twitter handle. Uh, and talking about Twitter, uh, today before the, the show, uh, we put it out there to see if anybody had any questions uh, for Ben and I. It's probably more so Ben. He does a little bit more of the, the hard work and the analysis. I'm, uh, I'm just along for the ride, here for a good time, not a long time. Uh, but we put but, out but if you've got fun answers, like let them rip, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, so we've asked if there's anyone, any uh, listeners that had any questions. And uh, yeah, we got some great feedback from that already. First question from Bombers9256. Uh, because you guys do actual analysis rather than using your gut feelings or fan bias, what is the most common false belief fans have? For example, teams should run the ball more in cold weather. It's a good question. What do you think, Ben? 
I think that analytics Twitter has mostly run on the NFL, and there's not as much directly on the CFL, but it generally holds for you. And there's a few common meatball fan base misperceptions that the man really doesn't support in the end, such as running the ball matters for successful winning football. Math says it doesn't. I don't care what offensive linemen say. I'm a lineman coach. It doesn't matter. Play action is just as effective and actually a better overall range of outcomes for an offense. Secondly, people worry if it's raining going into their fantasy matchups. Rain doesn't matter. I don't know if any of you have ever looked, but these players wear gloves now. Don Narcisse has been doing it for like 30, 35 years. (laughs) He had those old orange glass cutter gloves in the old Mosaic Stadium that he started with, and they fit like plastic garbage bags on his hands but they worked and now Under Armour, Nike, they all make gloves it's actually stickier when the ball is wet really the only thing you have to worry about is wind that's sustained over 50 kilometers an hour and that starts to affect things or like if you get 12 inches of fresh powder snow on the field that'll affect things too Uh, the final one is that running backs actually matter, running backs don't matter the math is there kids (laughs) it's primarily blocking and scheme and running backs are pretty much replaceable. There's more to it than that, but that's a good start, I think, for the question that we got there. Yeah, for sure. Now, is that just CFL specific, or is that CFL and NFL, do you think? That's mostly NFL, and I'm kind of translating it over to the CFL for the most part. But uh, you can certainly take a look at some of the good NFL analytics counts that are out there on Twitter, and these are pretty overwhelmingly math-tested and proven. Yeah. Well, and I even think when we started doing fantasy 20 years ago, I remember having LaDainian Tomlinson. He was my man. I And I rode that that horse for two, three seasons in a row kind of thing, um, where that's just not the case anymore. NFL, CFL, I feel like our running backs come and go kind of as the seasons change kind of thing. So yeah, need to change. But great question there. Another question. This is from uh, at City of Champs 14. How much whitehood ownership or whitehead ownership percentage wise is too much? So, who are we talking about here when uh, City of Champs is asking about whitehead? Uh, looking at Lucky Whitehead, BC Lions wide receiver, formerly of Winnipeg, but they don't know how to scout talent. So now he's of BC. <laughs> yeah. We do, love, we do love our Blue Bomber fans, though. We, got, we, 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 we love you. Matt Nichols, career killer. Right, like if you didn't see it in Winnipeg, you're certainly seeing it in Ottawa this season. That uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, how much ownership is too much? How can you possibly get a look at a good wide receiver if you've got Nichols throwing the ball? But anyways, back to the question. I'd say (laughs) how much Whitehead ownership is too much? Well, in cash games or head-to-heads this week, a hundred percent is fine because you're probably running just one lineup out there in head-to-heads or cash games, and he's a lock at this salary. The salary is ridiculous. Timmy, the DraftKings intern that sets the salaries on his phone during coffee runs, I I think he got sick this week. Maybe he's got a light bit of COVID because he didn't get double vaccinated, and he's worrying right now about how he's going to affect these salaries because the salary on Whitehead dropping from the 9,000s down to 6,800 this week after two weeks of over 2,500 of over 25 points a week for the last couple of weeks. It's ridiculous. There is a there is a lot of salaries this week that just didn't make much sense. Now, if you're talking about GPPs, like the larger tournaments, it's really a matter of leverage and game theory, and that's kind of where the upper-level DraftKings theory type comes in. The ownerships are a lot harder to predict in CFL contests, but in general, game theory would tell you that wide receivers have a lot higher volatility rate than other positions, so if you think a guy will be in every lineup, 
you should probably consider being underweight or having a lower ownership percentage than the rest of the field just to hedge your bets. Essentially, planning that injuries can happen, wide receivers can fail, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong, and if it does fail, that's when you make your money. Not because you made the best plays, but because you avoided a play that everybody else had because they figured it would be the best play. Now, if you're really convinced, then sure, you can take your chances and just lock them into every lineup. But I think it's fair to guess he's probably going to be at least 65% owned this week, given the salary and the recency bias in most players' lineups. I think he was 49% last week on a four-game slate. This week, given what he's produced, given the low salary, given it's only three games, I'd guess he's probably in two-thirds of lineups or more. So you can make your strategic play call and go with it from there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I see he's all over the headlines on on the different TSN websites and Twitters, and there's lots of whitehead love right now out there. So people are going to be checking him out for sure. Uh, at Jeevers Golf, any viable Hamilton receivers versus that awful Red Blacks defense on DraftKings? Uh, <laughs> this one I thought through for a long time because pretty much all those Hamilton receivers are all in the 3-4K range, which is really ridiculously low versus Ottawa. And there's certainly a chance that the halfbacks in the defensive backfield for Ottawa just trip over the yard lines and run into each other all night like a Bad <laughs> News Bears movie and that there's four broken coverage TDs for Ackland, Dunbar, and the white duo by halftime, right? Like it's a legitimate possibility. It's been seen, it's been done. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I think probably with Watford starting quarterback, it's more of a Tim Tebow game plan, and probably no more than one of those receivers is going to hit value. And value in CFL contests, I usually term in terms of about two and a half times salary. So if it's a 4,000 player, you probably want 10 DraftKings points to call that hitting good value. I'd be surprised if you get more than one or two of those receivers that hits value, and probably you're not going to be looking at any of them having ceiling nights. There's just not going to be enough pass volume to go around. Um, yeah. Who? There's no real way to know, so I would probably fade Jalen Ackland just because he's the highest price one of the bunch and take your slot choices with Hamilton because they tend to like to give those guys a few carries in the backfield too with Erlington out of the lineup. So probably either of Pappy or Tim White are going to get a couple of carries and four or five targets, and you can just hope for the best. But overall, I'm kind of steering clear of those Hamilton receivers. Yeah, because I don't think salary is an issue this week, is it? No, it's a little bit wild. Like I said, with Timmy the intern having those salaries as weird as what they are for a lot of the spots, you've got a few players that are literally two or $3,000 underpriced from where they should be. Right. Which should make for a fun, fun week of building a lineup because uh, uh, you'll have lots of cash in the uh, in the salary to build that. Uh, okay, let's do one more question. We got one more for um, Thomas J. Gunther. Is Watford versus Ottawa a savvy move, or am I just delusional? Thomas, I love you, and you're delusional. <laughs> <laughs> we can move on from that. Straight to the point. All right, go check that delusion out. Okay, uh, before we dive a little bit more into week eight, uh, maybe let's take a look at week seven real quick. Uh, Not, this isn't a chance for Ben and I to talk about our lineups, but more just uh, in general, uh, what were some of the things that uh, we saw from this past weekend? 
um, some of the things maybe following up that we talked about on the last episode that came through and maybe some of the things that didn't come through. Um, so Ben, what were some of the things from week seven that uh, stood out to you? Yeah, let's not talk about my lineups from week seven. <laughs> that, that was a down week. Too much Kamar Jordan, too much uh, Kyron Moore, too much Brian Burnham, too much Kenny Lawler. All the underpriced guys absolutely fell apart, and it was the lucky Whitehead Mike Riley show last week. So in the main slate Maple Leaf, the uh, big MME contest of the week, the winning lineup was Michael Riley, Andrew Harris, Lucky Whitehead, Ricky Collins Jr., Eugene Lewis, Kean Schaefer-Baker, and the Bombers defense. And Riley was really the winner for the second week in a row in the big MME. And it's feeling kind of like 2018 all over again with a single stack and one bring back from the Montreal receiving core in Eugene Lewis. And this lineup hit and won despite Montreal being held out of the end zone overall. Like I said, there was a lot of chalky players like Lewis and Jordan and Burnham that were all well into the 30 and 40% owned this last week that all failed pretty miserably. So some of these other lineups are a little bit more contrarian, like Collins, who was only 5% owned, and Schaefer Baker, that was only 9% owned, managed to come up through the middle um, with a couple of good pivot plays. So Andrew Harris wasn't that special at running back or even the top back because James Wilder was a top running back on the slate, and I'll take a little bow for that one after Twitter came after me for saying he'd get his first rushing touchdown of the year. And he had two of them. Dose. <laughs> dose. The dose. So, yeah, Chalk Lake Riley, Whitehead, and the Bombers defense, all well close to 50% ownership, just crushed it this last week, and it was the single-digit ownership players like Schaefer Baker's near 25 points that put the lineup over the top. So congrats to Vegas underscore Berg, who I know has been a long-time CFL DraftKings player on his big win of 2000 this last week. Um, going up to some higher stakes contests like the $50 Chop Block single entry contest. The winning lineup was Riley, Andrew Harris, Lucky Whitehead, Kean Schaefer Baker, James Wilder, Kamar Jordan, and the Lions. So it had the same BC core stack, but without the Eugene Lewis bringback. And Jordan was in almost every lineup in the contest at 80% in the contest. And his going out didn't really affect the outcomes in the end. And the risk that paid off was, like I said, that Wilder call versus the Bombers defense that was vulnerable to the run going into it. Lots of folks got off while they were when the news hit that Trevor Harris was going to be going to the six-game injured reserve. So low-owned Schaefer Baker was also the big week of his breakout and that was the big difference maker in the lineup so just to give people another thought when they're entering DraftKings contests for the week the great thing about smaller high stakes contests like single entry ones like this is that you don't need to be perfect to win there was a couple of players in the lineup mm -hmm. like Kamar Jordan who had only a couple of points the Lions defense that had only a couple points Andrew Harris that underperformed that were still there in the first place winning lineup because if you're only competing against eight or nine other players with just a single entry themselves you don't need to be perfect to win first place so congrats to Ryder fan with a PH another longtime CFL DraftKings player on his big one in the chop block in week seven yeah, for sure. And touching on that, the Trevor Harris news that broke, I think on Friday, Thursday or Friday, after we had recorded our 
our episode. Yeah, and that's the thing about CFL, right? Like, especially this week. Like, game one is on Wednesday. We only know two of six depth charts going into lineup lock in the first week. So, being available to make those late swaps in your lineup, go into your active lineups, take a look. You can make changes after the first game of the week, and making those late swaps is pretty essential to success in CFL DraftKings contests because we're going to know two-thirds of the lineups and players who are starting after the contest start. So there will be a lot of dead money every week just from people who aren't watching the uh, depth charts as they roll out. So that's just one more edge to make sure that you're on top of. Yeah, these lineups are not a set and forget. They're uh, a set and tweak and look at the injury reports and look at depth charts and look at the news and and allow the neurosis to just seep throughout the rest of your brain stem throughout the week as you worry and fret over which <laughs> late swaps to make and which ones to leave and then ultimately make the wrong decision and cost yourself hundreds of dollars and say you'll never do it again until next week. <laughs> Not that you know know that personally. Uh, except I do, Jared. So much money <laughs> lost. So much. Okay, so that was week seven, quick recap. Now, uh, looking ahead to uh, funky week eight, like we've talked about, um, you know, what are some of the uh, environments, uh, team totals, lines, weathers, uh, what are these looking like for this week? Yeah, like you said, the first game of the week is the Hamilton at Ottawa game. And depending on where you're looking and what books you're on, you can see some pretty wildly different game lines out there. So... I know that right now on uh, CoolBet, the over-under was set at 46.5 and and Ottawa is 8.5 point underdogs. But I know that it's only 40.5 over-under on Bet Regal, and I think that's probably a lot closer to what the actual truth is. So if you're looking for a pretty straightforward bet, the under on the 46.5 seems like a really good play. Mm -hmm. I know there's some sharp folks out there that I've been talking to on the Twitter that are on the Ottawa money line for this week, thinking it's kind of a trap game for Hamilton with basically their entire offense out injured and coming off just four days rest. I think, hey, you're welcome to buy a lottery ticket at four to one odds that could pay off. But I think you have to admit to yourself that it is really kind of buying a lottery ticket and hoping for the best because the Ottawa team really is very, very bad. (laughs) A lot of rebuilding. A lot of rebuilding. rebuilding. I, I won't even start on that one. Maybe I'll get to that later. Maybe I'll do it. I don't know. I can't believe Kenny Stafford <laughs> yeah. is starting for a CFL team again, you guys. But anyways, <laughs> carrying on. Okay. Uh, okay, and then our Friday night games. We've got a uh, doubleheader on Friday night. Uh, Montreal at Toronto. Uh, what are the lines on that one? Yeah, like right now on Cool Bet, you've got Montreal at Toronto. Toronto is a two-and-a-half point favorite with an over-under of 46-and-a-half. And I said, like with the other game, Bet Regal has this as an over-under of 50-and-a-half instead of 46-and-a-half which is the highest total of the season so far for any CFL game. And again, I think it's a lot closer to truth as well. It's kind of funny that at the beginning of the season when Bet Regal became the official gaming partner of the CFL, some of their lines were pretty smelly. Like there were some pretty (laughs) funky lines that they were putting out there that were five, six point different spreads from what most of the mainstream books were getting. But as the season's gone on, I think they're maybe a little bit more tuned in than a lot of the other books are that just don't care about the CFL as much. Mm. So I think over 46 and a half feels pretty good despite scoring being down overall this season. And Montreal to cover that two and a half or even the Montreal money line is I think Montreal is probably just a better team than Toronto at this point, especially with the injuries that Toronto's gotten their line back in core. 
Right. Now, since we've got Tim over at DraftKings, do we have like a Kim over at uh, some of these books? Set in <laughs> cool some of these lines? Or are they a little bit soft, kind of like we talked about about Vegas last week? I will have to check with my player personnel representatives over at CoolBet and see if we can get somebody on. But uh, no, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Right. Like in your experience, they, the lines seem a little more... I'd like say overall, effort cool, bet, cool Bet and uh, Bodog and Sports Interaction are all within like a point of each other most of the time. And Bet Regal mm. is a little bit more of a maverick organization that seems to set their own lines. They're the first ones out every week. And they don't really care nearly as much what the other books seem to have. This week, I think probably those Bet Regal lines are the sharper ones of the bunch. So you might be able to get a little bit more value on Cool Bet or maybe Bodog once their lines come out tomorrow. All right, good to know. Good to know. All right, and then the the final game of the week, Friday night, uh, Saskatchewan at BC. Uh, yeah, it looks like this one's a pretty well a pick 'em, isn't it? Yeah, pretty close. It's like a one and a half point BC favorite on some books, and as much as a one and a half point Saskatchewan favorite on others. The over under is set forty four on Cool Bet. Now the trick is. BC hasn't given up an offensive touchdown since the first half of their week one game versus the Riders. Like, that's 22 straight quarters without allowing a touchdown in professional whoa, football. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How, how long has it been since they've allowed a touchdown? The first half of the first game of the season versus Saskatchewan. So 22 quarters ago. Oh, my gosh. That's a long That's time crazy. in professional football, no right? Kidding. So, like, maybe Saskatchewan gets out in front and gets one or two majors this week. But the under, again, feels really good here at under 44. Now, if it's over, then probably it's going to be something like 30 to 16 for BC. Because the Saskatchewan defense has struggled with the deep ball since they've had a bunch of injuries in their secondary. I think overall the game is more of a pick em in my opinion, overall. But I'd say, yeah... You're going to want to be careful with that one. I don't have a strong feel on the over-under or the game pick, that one. Yeah. Hmm. Good to know. Um, one other quick personal aside. Not This isn't a podcast talking generally about the CFL, but I do certainly want to uh, tip my cap to uh, what the Lions are doing with their orange shirt. And I'm not sure, Ben, if you saw their logo, that their special logo that they came out for. Yeah, it was pretty slick. Uh, this Friday. Man, that looks so good, so sharp. I, uh, um, yeah, definitely props to, to the BC Lions organization. I thought what they're doing um, with the orange shirt and residential schools, not that we're going to get all political on this podcast, but I just want to uh, uh, say good job when, when we can kind of thing. Speaking of props, Sports Interaction has their CFL props up already. Well, <laughs> look at that segue. That, that wasn't segue. even on purpose. Just <laughs> low-hanging fruit right out there for us, right? Yeah. yeah but yeah, 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 usually the uh, props don't come up on the books until the game day of. But uh, tonight they had Hamilton, Ottawa up there already on sportsinteraction.com. And there's four or five props up there that I love pretty quickly. The uh, the total passing yards for Hamilton QBs at 255.5. I think is a pretty safe under with David Watford. Uh, The chances that he'll crack even 200 yards passing when Hamilton has rarely cracked 200 yards passing this season given their injured receiving core. 255.5, the under on that is a a smash it with a small rental car worth of money. I think that one's a pretty pretty safe bet. Uh, The other ones are all all the unders on the Hamilton receivers. 
same reason that mm. you've got a 55.5 under on Tim White, 53.5 for Jalen Acklin. Those ones, I think, are, again, pretty safe unders. And I think more often than not, if you're betting props, you're going to find that you're going to be hitting unders more often than not. Because even if you're just playing with the possibility of, hey, they could get hurt and miss the game, well, you're under hits, right? The overs are a little bit mm, sketchier, but yeah. especially in this situation, the unders look pretty juicy. Um, the rushing yards props for both teams too. Hamilton at 64 and a half rushing yards for the running backs, when the reality is that they're, half their rushing carries at this point come from slot backs with Erlington out. Mm. The chances that they're going to get enough running yards to get the over with their running backs is pretty slim. And the Ottawa running backs, 58 and a half, their running game has been pretty much non-existent other than just the last week in blowout time. So I would assume that under 58 and a half yards for Ottawa RBs is a pretty safe bet there too. So quick summation, under. Hamilton, Ottawa, under. Bet the under. On the receiving and the rushing, look at the under. All right, well, now let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, talk a little bit about fantasy lineups, building those for uh, this week eight of the CFL. Uh, let's start with the quarterbacks. Yeah, quarterbacks are pretty straightforward. It seems like it's kind of Groundhog Day at the ground quarterback position. Every week it's the same top two or three guys. And this week is no different. You've got Vernon Adams on top with his dual threat scoring ability, followed by Michael Riley. And then it's pretty close matchup between Cody Fajardo or Nick Arbuckle for that third spot. I think in cash games and single entry, Adams and Riley are going to make probably 80% of lineups. They're the two more mm. solid scores for totally different reasons. Vernon Adams for unreasonable efficiency, throwing touchdowns. Michael Riley, because he has the dual threat abilities as well, not nearly as much rushing as he used to, but with the way that his receiving core has been supporting him, BC has had a pretty wild passing attack this year. So Adams gets the matchup with Toronto, who's allowed a league-high 10 touchdowns through the air to this point, and the second most completions mm -hmm. of 30-plus yards this season at 10. So Adams, I think, is a pretty solid consideration in cash games and single entry. And Michael Riley is in a great spot, too. The Lions are first in the league in terms of passing yards per attempt at 9.86, second in passing TDs per attempt, and second in completions of 30-plus yards with 12 this season. And they face a Rough Riders defense that has allowed the most completions of 30 plus yards this season with 11 including six completions of 20 plus yards in week seven alone toronto mm. pretty much passed at will deep balls they couldn't complete anything else they they, no. they were a bad offense but they could throw the deep ball at will which kind of makes you wonder what on earth they were doing but uh anyways <laughs> yeah i think the, those are certainly the top two quarterbacks on the slate this week between fajardo and uh, Arbuckle, you've got a couple of different ideas as to why you could go that direction. Like Fajardo, you're looking at, again, Tim Tebow Canada, right? He can run for 100 yeah. yards and a couple of touchdowns on a given week, and he can pass the ball significantly better than Timmy ever could either. I think the problem with Fajardo is going to be, like we mentioned already, that BC has that 22 consecutive quarters of football with only two total TDs scored the whole season. It's uh, yeah, five given up all season. And three of those were in the first half of the first game. So I don't think that you can expect too much out of the Riders' offense. And Fajardo up near that 10K salary is going to be kind of a GPP flyer and certainly a contrarian play this week. 
Um, maybe he'll get a little bit more ownership than he would otherwise just because people want to stack him with Schaefer Baker being such a big value at the wide receiver position. But Fajardo, he's got that upside there, but it's going to be tough to realize it. Arbuckle is interesting to me because they have the matchup with Montreal, and Montreal is one of the worst secondaries in the league in terms of giving up yards and touchdowns. And the uh, the knock with Arbuckle is that his receivers are well overpriced for what they're actually worth. All those Toronto receivers are in the mm-hmm. 78K range, and so stacks get a little bit more expensive than Arbuckle, so he's probably going to be a little bit lower on tournament option. We had Thomas ask the question earlier about quarterbacks with Watford or Dominique Davis. Now, they're in the 6 7 K range, which makes it a little bit easier to uh, pay up for a couple of big receivers or a couple of running backs. But the reality is, like we said earlier, with so many players mispriced this week, there is so much value out there. There's really no reason to drop down to bad quarterbacks when you can afford to spend up for good quarterbacks and get the same quality of players in that 6-7K range at receiver. So, yeah, I think probably your player pool can end for single entry and cash games at Adams and Riley and maybe expand it out to Fajardo and Arbuckle in tournaments. Yeah, I don't think you need to be scared off by that $10,000 salaries figure for... for uh for Adams. Now, one of the things we talked about last week was taking a look at the um, total, like the over-unders and looking at the game that has the highest over-under and then, you know, kind of bulking up on those players. So this week we talked about Montreal, Toronto being at, you know, 50.5. Does that same kind of strategy apply for that game where you maybe want to like double stack uh, Montreal, Toronto, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think we'll get into some of the full-up lineup building later on, but certainly I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of game stacks coming out of the Montreal-Toronto game. Again, it's going to depend what book people are looking at too. Like I said, this week I think the Bet Regal book lines are probably the sharpest, and so that's what I've used in the projections model. But you can certainly yeah. see other ones that have that Montreal-Toronto game at an over-under around 46 and the other two games at 44. And if that's actually the case, well, then it's actually a lot closer between all of them. But like I said, I can't imagine yeah. Ottawa-Hamilton scoring over 35 points, if we're being honest. And yeah, Saskatchewan BC with the defenses they've got there. I can't imagine that one hits the 44 over under either. So I think probably game stacking around Toronto Montreal gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of access to those high game totals. Yeah, good, good. All right, moving on to the running back position. Um, what are you looking at uh, for running running backs this week? <laughs> we got a pair of Williams. Up at the top, we've got William Powell for Saskatchewan and William Stanback for Montreal. They're both in the mid to high 8K range. And they're going to be in the top of the projections by a couple of points over the rest of the field. Difficulty is going to be they're pretty much double the salary of any of the other players in the field as well. We don't have any Andrew Harris or James Wilder this week that are the usual plays in that 8-9K range. And so we're just left with Powell and Stanback both of which have only one touchdown each this season. And so that they're they're priced up there because they get the volume, but uh, they yeah. certainly haven't been efficient with the scoring. So Powell has seen significantly increased volume in the last couple of weeks, including 39 carries and six targets in the past two games, which is a big bump up from where he was earlier in the season. And certainly when it comes to projecting running backs, volume is really what you want to look at for consistency. But as mentioned many times, and as I'm sure will many time again, the Lions have allowed just kind of league average rates of rushing yards, and they haven't allowed a single rushing touchdown since Powell ran one in in week one. 
So there, there's not a lot there to really get excited about, and it's going to be all a matter of Powell getting the volume. Saskatchewan projects for the most plays of any offense this week at 59.8, I think it is, as the BC defense tends to give up a lot of plays. So if he's going to get there, it's going to be on volume and hoping that he sneaks into the end somehow and that Fajardo doesn't vulture the touchdown from him. So that's kind of Powell yeah. at the top of the list, but he's only up by about half a point over William Standback. And really, Stanback has also seen elite volume with 33 carries in the past two weeks. But like Powell, he's only got that one touchdown this season. So it's going to be a matter of if either one of them can get in the end zone, that probably makes him instantly the top running back play on the slate. Uh, I like Stanback's chances getting one against Toronto a little bit more. But as I said, BC and Toronto have only allowed combined three rushing touchdowns this season. So wow. eventually, the... Uh, touchdown regression is likely to come for both Powell and Stanback. They just get too much volume not to score. But expecting yeah. it's going to come this week is a little bit more of a stretch. So if you drop down the pricing range significantly, you can get to some of the value-priced running backs, which are a little bit more contingent on the uh, depth charts coming out later this week. James Butler got the start at running back for BC last week with a late scratch from... Uh, Shaq Cooper, he's only 4,800 this week. Malik Irons was listed as the backup for Hamilton last week and also listed as a backup this week at 4,900. But he took carries over Jackson Bennett pretty much 3-1 to one out of that Hamilton backfield. So, again, you mm. can trust Hamilton backfield depth charts with about as much as toilet paper. They're really not worth <laughs> a whole lot. You'll get as many carries from their slot backs as you will their running backs without Erlington in the lineup. So counting on irons to get the same amount of carries or workload as he did last week is a significant risk especially almost at 5k one of the other running backs that's kind of cheap is dj foster thankfully he's back at the running back position on DraftKings this week after taking a weird blip into the wide receiver pool last week and he's <laughs> only at 4100 so he's not going to get nearly the volume that somebody like Butler might get or even Irons might get, but it's going to be a consistent amount of volume. You know what you're going to get. He's going to get three carries a week. He's going to get four or five targets a week, and it's going to be the matter of whether he's able to break something because he's still sharing the backfield with John White there in Toronto. With a salary at 4K, it's kind of a questionable spend, but if you're spending down to start with, he's probably going to be the lower owned out of all the cheap ones. Um, mm -hmm. give you kind of the upside as he's had a 20 DK point game already this season just with his speed and his receiving ability. The one other one that I'll mention that I didn't have in my notes because I'm kind of embarrassed to even say it out loud is Tim Flanders. He, he's still there. <laughs> he's only $2,500 on DraftKings. He's absolute minimum salary. He still twice this season at minimum salary didn't hit value as the starting running back for <laughs> Ottawa. So, like, he's there, and if you really want to punt the position, you can. The biggest knock against him is the return of Brendan Gillanders to the lineup for Ottawa this week. So you're probably going to have a split backfield in Ottawa that was already probably the least positive scoring backfield situation in the CFL. So if you're absolutely looking to punt it, Flanders is there for you, but man alive, that's that's a uh, a play I wouldn't make. Man, I feel bad. I feel bad for the red, our red back, red black fans. That's it's tough to be a CFL fan. So Ben, here I got a question for you. So I'm looking at DraftKings right now, taking a look at the two Williams at the top. Um, Standback is 8,800. Uh, Powell's 8,400. How much stock should a guy put into or a girl 
who's building a lineup, how much stock should they put into the op opponent rank that DraftKings has here? Because they have Standback at the first opponent rank and Powell at the ninth. So should I trust those numbers or is that just DraftKings trying to... I think the best thing that you can do with those numbers is if it's possible, just like put masking tape over the screen <laughs> where they would sit. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah. Uh, they're basically there for sucker bets. They're going to uh, get the average Joe who has done no research to look at the running box spot and be like, hey there, that's uh, that's like the easiest matchup on the slate. And he, he averages 14 DraftKings points a week. That's my guy. And those are the guys whose money you're taking. So <laughs> that's, <you>. that's, <laughs> that's kind of what those are there for. Nobody has ever really explained what the system is for ranking them. Um, certainly it's not something that you'd want to put much stock in on a week-to-week -week basis. Well, good to know. Well, if, if anyone from DraftKings is listening and wants to fill Ben and I in, we will happily share that with our listeners. But uh, that is good to know. That is good information. Okay, uh, let's move along. Wide receivers. Uh, what are we looking at? Yeah, like we mentioned a few times already, that Montreal-Toronto game is going to be the big game stack opportunity of the week, I think. You can get both... Well, the reality is Montreal has three receivers that get about 75% of their targets in the offense between Eugene Lewis, Jake Wieneke, and BJ Cunningham. They all get about equal amounts of targets. They all get about equal amounts of air yards. They're pretty close to interchangeable players. The difference is so far BJ Cunningham hasn't converted them into actual yards and actual receptions and actual touchdowns this season. But the opportunity yeah. has been exactly the same for him as the other ones of his running mates. So Lewis is the top priced one at 7,800 and he has certainly been the leader in targets and yards and air yards throughout the season. He leads the league in air yards with 106 a game so far this year. So he's the top play for a reason and in a great matchup with a Toronto defense that loves giving up touchdowns. Wynicky somewhat inexplicably has fallen from 8,000 to 6,100 while Cunningham just doesn't see his price rise no matter what the opportunity is at 6,300. You can easily double stack Montreal receivers this week. You can pretty easily bring back a Toronto one in a tournament lineup. Um, you're not going to have too much trouble building around Adam stacks with Montreal. You can play single stacks and assume that Adams runs one in himself in tournament lineups. You could play a single stack mm -hmm. or and hope that Adams passes all them to him this week. I think probably you're building through singles and let a couple of doubles in there if you are building more than one tournament lineup. Um, I think if you are building with an optimizer, one rule you'd want to put in there is not having Standback and Adams in the same lineup because Standback just isn't catching passes this year. They are going to be vulturing each other and have a negative correlation there. So I think Montreal is going to be your top stacks. The Toronto receivers are pretty drastically overpriced in reality given what their actual mm -hmm. production is. Eric Rogers has had three touchdowns in the last couple weeks and he shot all the way up to 9,300. But if he's not catching touchdowns, he's falling into the end zone without the ball. Um, he is getting a little old. His legs are not what they used to be. There hasn't been much there beyond red zone production for him this season. So 9,300 is a little bit much to spend. But again, if you're building tournament lineups and looking for a low-owned play to go along with a Montreal stack, that's an interesting bring back just because it'll probably be a lower-owned option. Collins and Daniels are right about the same kind of target share in air yards at 7,400 and 7,600. Um, you can make those guys pretty much interchangeable. They all get about six to seven targets a game. 
I'll get similar kind of air yards. Daniels is going to be a little bit more of a big play threat, but he's also volatile in the sense that you're either going to get five points or 50. So you can decide what kind of lineup you're building and you can decide what yeah. your risk tolerances are. And those are kind of the guys you're going to be building around for the most part. Lucky Whitehead, as mentioned before, is only 6,800 this week and he's reality a 9K receiver at least. If Burnham yeah, was up easy. over 10,000 last week, Whitehead should be at least in that price range and he's priced literally two-thirds of what his salary should be in contests right now so he'll probably be yeah. in at least two-thirds of tournament lineups i would expect he's probably going to be in every cash game lineup this week in every single entry you just have to know what the field is doing and adjust accordingly if you want to burnham technically dressed last week technically played and technically got some targets but it was really apparent that the groin injury he sustained in practice midway through the week really hampered him and Whitehead was the main beneficiary of the extra targets to go around so Burnham is probably going to be a lot lower option this week or a lower owned option this week at 9800 given the bomb he put up last week but in the matchup that they've got and with what we expect from Riley certainly Burnham is going to be an option if he's healthy and ready to run this week if you're bringing players back on, the, on that yeah one, go ahead yeah one question on that is so I'm taking a look again here on DraftKings there's a lot of red like you talked about Burnham the groin injury you know should guys be looking at any of these guys that are on IR or out or questionable and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you have to take a look at the depth charts every week because you can't really trust the DraftKings injury propositions for who these players are. They spend about as much time on who's injured as they do on the salaries on a given week. So you might... <laughs> Come on, Tim. Yeah, it, it, it might be there, it might not. You want to make sure you're doing your research for yourself to make sure that you're looking at the actual depth charts from the actual teams to see who's going to be in or out on a given week. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I think and probably then, uh, the, any any of the receivers from the other game. Yeah, I think you're going to get Kyron Moore that's still popping in projections a little bit because he had those four straight weeks where he was getting nine or ten targets. That changed a lot this last week, um, as most of those targets went to Key and Schaefer Baker, and he's only thirty eight hundred. He's again going to be wildly owned this week, I would guess probably again in that 40 to 50 percent range given what he put up with 25 points in the DraftKings contest last week. Um, that's mm -hmm. one that would be an interesting fade for me in tournaments and especially in single entry. You know that he's going to be in most lineups. You know that BC has not been giving up touchdowns especially through the air. So I think to me that's probably an interesting fade to look at even though it's a little bit frightening to look at a guy who's 3800 and put up 25 points a week ago. Um, from the Ottawa side of things, Ryan Davis had a really huge game in that game versus BC the other week. Um, Devontae Deadman is now back in the lineup, so Davis is going to fall down the projection significantly without that return work. Ottawa had been getting 250, 300 return yards a week just because they were giving up so many touchdowns every game that being the returner for Ottawa was a job just in and of itself as a position in fantasy football, it seemed. So Davis up to 4,900 this week. He's a lot more of a risk now without those return yards in his, but I expect probably he's still going to garner a fair bit of ownership after his breakout game just a couple weeks ago. Right. Okay, good. And yeah, and just to, rem to remind listeners that are maybe new to CFL, like you only there's only one running back slot you need to fill, two wide receiver slots, and then two flex positions. And I, I would think Ben, the uh, the savvy fantasy builder, is putting 
wide receivers in those flex positions and staying away from the running backs. Yeah, especially so far this season. The running back scoring overall has been down significantly. At some point that probably bounces back and maybe having multi-running back lineups becomes a thing again. Um, As we went through earlier in the Week 7 recap, two running back lineup with Wilder and Harris won the $50 chop block contest, so it can't be done, but uh, that was a little bit more of a bounce back for Wilder with his two touchdowns this last week in an interesting spot versus Winnipeg this week. With both Wilder and Harris out of the slate, you've got a lot fewer options that are interesting at the running back position, and so I would think, yeah, in the vast majority of tournament lineups, and especially in cash games, you're going to be going single running back and deciding whether you want to pay up for any of them at all or just kind of punting the position with one of the value plays and paying up at wide receiver across the board. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. That's good. Um, finally, defenses. Not, not a lot to choose from. We got six. Uh, who's appealing to you? Yeah, I think all season the fantasy play at defense has been whoever's facing Ottawa, right? The Ottawa (laughs) offense has been so bad. You're not even worrying about what defensive production looks like, whether they get sacks or turnovers, because you know they're going to come anyways. Especially with Dominique Davis starting at quarterback, he still averages two interceptions a game as a professional quarterback. So he can sling it. He's going to get yards. He might even get a couple touchdowns, but the interceptions are always going to be there for the opposing defense. So Ottawa has allowed 18 sacks and given up 13 turnovers to this point while averaging the league low 14.4 offensive points a game. So Hamilton should be primed to take advantage of that. They're also likely to garner the most ownership at the position. And defense is, again, probably the most volatile position in fantasy. So if you're looking in single entry, maybe you want to fade Hamilton as a game theory play. But certainly in cash games, Hamilton is going to be the most owned defense on the slate. If you're looking for a pivot off of that high-owned Tiger Cats defense, Saskatchewan at 4,600 or the Lions at 4,200 are kind of interesting units as well given that they both come in with a little bit more oomph in the actual defensive categories. Saskatchewan currently Mm -hmm. leads the league in sacks with 20 by a wide margin over second place. Second place is only 15. And Saskatchewan's also third in forced turnovers. So BC hasn't given up a lot of sacks and haven't given up a lot of turnovers so far this season, but good defenses can make things happen sometimes. And as mentioned earlier, the Lions defense has been unbelievably stout the last five weeks, giving up only two touchdowns in this span. And it makes them an interesting play in tournaments as well at only 4,200. Now they've only produced Mm -hmm. 11 sacks to this point, but they have forced a league high 19 turnovers to this point. And Fajardo's been a little bit more turnover prone early on in 2021 than he was in 2019. He's felt a little bit more uncomfortable in the pocket with a more injured line and missing some of his usual hogs up front. So getting Fajardo on his heels and throwing off his back foot, they might be able to turn over some of the balls a couple of bit more. And with Whitehead returning field goals and Rainey returning kicks, there's always a chance of a special team score as well for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that BC Saskatchewan game is going to be an interesting one from a, uh, you know, choosing a defense standpoint, you know, for all the things that you've talked about. Like Hamilton seems like the safe pick. Yeah. Um, the set and forget kind of pick. But uh, I feel like the ceiling might be a little high for either the Lions or Riders. Defense. Not that we're all about guts. And like choosing my guts, we, we this podcast is more about analysis. But to me, Schaefer Baker, based on years of playing fantasy, the guy that usually has, you know, an amazing breakout last week usually doesn't have that great of a week following up. I don't have the stats to back that up right now, but (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it just Off- in my experience, the guy that's like, oh yeah, like you know, huge points and everybody loves them, and then the next week he just puts up a goose egg or something. I, like I, that, yeah, right? I, I think to go along with that, th- the real key in fantasy football is looking for things that are predictive and not descriptive. Right? You want to look for stats yeah. that are predictive of future outcomes, not descriptive of past outcomes, because anybody can look mm-hmm. at the game logs and be a game log chaser and build last week's winning lineup this week. But last week's winning lineup isn't going to be the same thing. So don't look at average fantasy points. Don't look at who scored last week. You want to look at things like targets and air yards when you're looking at your receivers. If you want to go to slotbacklabs.com, you can get all those stats there from my friend Matt. And he'll get you everything you need to figure out where you're looking predictively at the receivers as opposed to just descriptive stats like how many points they scored a week ago. So certainly if you're looking strategically going into this week, there's going to be a lot of lineups that are justifiably going to run through Montreal and Toronto stacks in that big high game total. And I think that's absolutely reasonable, whether it's cash games or GPPs. It's going to be wise to run at least single stacks and a bring back in tournament lineups, I think, if that game is actually going to hit. One interesting thought I had this week that I'm probably going to run mm-hmm. at least a couple of is running Arbuckle stacks but without the Argos overpriced receivers and instead stacking him with Montreal receivers, hoping that the game total hits. So you can get the cheaper mm, yeah. wide receivers from the Montreal side in the 6K range and Arbuckle in only that 7K range at quarterback. And then you can pay up for some of the big weapons for some of the other games, whether it's one of the top running backs or some of the other options like Burnham, who's going to be lower owned and just give you the upside of a unique build as most people will probably stack Arbuckle just with Argos receivers. So given Toronto's bloated salaries at receiver, I think that's a potential option to be unique in tournaments this week. Um, If you're fading QBs from that big game like uh, Adams and Arbuckle, then you're probably looking at lineups with Fajardo or looking at lineups with Riley. I don't think there's going to be a lot of ownership on Watford and Davis and justifiably so. I think if right. you are going the Fajardo route, the most common build is going to be through the cheap one, Schaefer Baker, but more will likely be a little bit lower owned given that he had a down week. And like you were talking about earlier, recency bias is a real thing. People tend to build last yeah, week's yeah. winning lineup. So I think Moore is a little bit more of an interesting tournament play in that option with Schaefer Baker being an interesting fade for tournaments. And as for Lions stack, I think there's a lot yeah. that's unknown still about the health of Burnham and Rhymes of Durant going into this weekend to have much of a solid take on what builds could look like. So I think certainly you can build around Whitehead. And if you're going to build out a double stack, you're going to have to keep your eyes on who's starting at receiver for them this week. As you might see Hatcher getting another start you might see Katoy still in the lineup or those guys could all disappear altogether and you could see Burnham, Rhymes, and Durant all return to the starting lineup at once which would really give them a uh, a shake up again over what they've been doing the last couple of weeks yeah yeah that's all good stuff yeah for sure you know even on a three game slate still lots of options still lots of ways that you can be creative building lineups you're not kind of forced to Build you, a lineup one way or another, and like and like you, you said earlier, play with whoever you want salaries, this week. Yeah, it, because the salaries there, there's so many you know quality guys at a inexpensive salary. You know, guys can have fun building some lineups that they want, and maybe build a couple different lineups and, and enter them yeah. in some different contests for sure. And I guess probably the last thing that I would leave as a as a thought to ponder this week is don't be scared to leave salary on the table. 
There's no reason yeah. to have to spend up to 50000 just because you can. Build a lineup you believe in and go with it. Like for, <laughs> for context, I won a college football tournament last weekend and won my $2,000 for first place, and I left $15,000 salary on the table in the winning lineup. <laughs> It was only oh a thir- it was only a $35,000 salary lineup in the $50,000 salary cap, but the points worked out. It yeah. all looked good. Those were the plays I wanted. In the end, it won the MME contest for a college football slate. So there's no reason to have to spend every penny of that salary. Build good lineups, build unique lineups, build correlated lineups, and don't worry about the dollars so long as it fits under the cap somewhere. Yeah, and again, you know, for for our listeners that have played a lot of NFL, um, this isn't NFL. This isn't you know, there it's not as competitive uh, salary wise and that kind of stuff where that comes into play a lot more. Uh, there is a little bit more freedom because remember, we're dealing with Tim the intern who's setting salaries in between coffee runs. So we love uh, you, you Tim. Can have a little more fun with it for sure. Yeah, we do love you, Tim. Um, okay, I think that's everything for this week eight of the CFL. Um, again, just want to remind everybody about prize picks, go use the code Ben Yaman, B E N Y A M E N, just like Ben's Twitter handle, uh, and get yourself, um, a hundred percent bonus entry, uh, when you use Ben Yaman there, uh, as well too, this is episode two of the podcast. Uh, we're looking for more sponsors. We're looking to, uh, definitely grow this podcast and, you know, try and, help bolster the CFL and uh, all those things. So if you're a business or know someone that owns a business or uh, wants to kind of get your name out there a little bit more, uh, then definitely reach out to us at advertise at playsinaction.com. You can email uh, us at, that's at advertise at playsinaction.com. All right, Ben, any uh, final thoughts, any final words for our, our listeners this week? I like football, Jared. Football is good. (laughs) I like watching football you don't on like Wednesday. Football. You love you love football, Ben. No, I love my wife. I like football. <laughs> oh, okay, that's good. I love That's you, good. Jen. Good, good <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, I love you too, Ben. Yeah, and I like football. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that wraps up another episode of Plays in Action. Uh, again, no, best way you can also support this podcast is just by telling your friends and family. Uh, whether you're new to fantasy uh, or a seasoned veteran. Uh, definitely tune in and uh, follow Ben and I follow plays in action on Twitter you can follow Ben at Ben Yaman Uh, you can find me at loves guitar and uh, if you've got any questions or anything like that definitely feel free to reach out to us there Uh, we would love to uh, love to help you guys out all right Ben well enjoy this uh, funky three game slate of CFL this week my friend yeah we're halfway home so uh, enjoy it all folks Follow, download, listen, share it with your friends, and good luck in all your contests this week. Yeah, good luck indeed. Okay, thanks for listening. Take care.